Hello and welcome back to the No Really Everything's Fine podcast, where we are joining you today from the shipwreck of our hopes and dreams as proposal managers. My name is Catherine Bennett. I am a proposal leader on LinkedIn and social media influencer, bringing to you today the hot topic with the No Really Everything's Fine crew of Burnout. And we are so excited to talk to our guest today, Rochelle Ray, who is a well-known consultant in the industry and also a leading burnout expert as it comes to proposal management and sales enablement functions. So we will introduce her shortly, but before we get to that, let's go ahead and take a run through who is available and uh, presenting today from the No Really Everything is Fine crew. So Chris, kick us off. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris LaFountain. I've been crashing and burning for about f almost 20 years doing proposals, done lots of late nights, doing one this weekend, actually. I've, I'm not too proud to say that I've slept on couches next to photocopiers in the office just to get stuff done. And there's rarely a good outcome uh, afterwards. So this is, a, this is a great topic for us to have Rochelle come on. And uh, I'm Nora Fox. I work for Shipley Associates on one of their uh, Fortune 50 software company accounts. Uh, familiar with burnout. Uh, good, good friend of mine. Known burnout for a very long time. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to uh, talk with Rochelle today about burnout. All right, Rochelle, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're so interested in burnout and uh, why you think it's such a big topic in the industry. Sure. Uh, so I've been writing proposals for like 13-ish years, um, and I've been burned out for most of them, <laughs> which is not healthy at all. Um, for me, it's caused like some minor health problems that were totally preventable, but I've just, for the entire time I've been doing this, have watched friends um, and colleagues and people I care about put themselves, like literally put themselves in the hospital, um, just sacrifice everything they have, family time, personal time, for what? Um, and so when I started consulting five years ago, it became a very um, important thing for me to talk about burnout and preventing it and why it's just, it's absolutely, it's built into the culture of proposals and it doesn't need to be. So here I am <laughs> on my soapbox once again, uh, talking about why we don't need to be burnt out anymore. Why we can stand up and say no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah. So it's 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 you know you speak from experience, and it's, it's certainly and, and we've all had that. A lot of our listeners have that as well. But I um, I know sometimes for me, I don't always know I'm burned out until I start yelling at family members or get really short with people or I type not a very smart email to people. I mean, how do like in your experience, Rochelle? I, I mean, I mean, I mean. What has, I mean, how, how does an individual know they're burned out? I mean, how, I mean, what can they do to kind of sense that they're getting to that critical moment? Ooh, uh, yeah, burnout signs are actually sometimes tricky to tell the difference between like, I'm burnt out and I'm just stressed. Um, mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, burnout is like the result of intense, prolonged exposure to stress. Um, but you nailed a lot of the really key things to be on the lookout for is like your mood starts to change. You become a little bit short with people. You can snap at people. You can withdraw completely. Um, you probably stop caring about things that you actually cared about. You might um, 
basically there's more behavioral changes that happen with burnout than it does with normal standard stress um, because proposal people are really, really good at handling stress. It can sometimes be really difficult for us to realize when we've crossed the line and plunged ourselves into burnout. And that's when like, that's why most people just snap and we just don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, we're just not passionate about things. We don't, we don't give things our all anymore. And you kind of just start coasting and just trying to survive. And I, I've noticed when I burn out, I start using language like that. Like I'm just, I just got to get through this. I just have to survive this. I just have to hang on. And it's usually not just, just getting through that. Mm. It's, there's a chronic problem that needs to be mm. identified and fixed. So. It's it's interesting you bring that up because you you talk uh, about about being vested and being passionate. And I know all of us uh, um, on on the episode today, and a lot of proposal people in general are just very passionate about what they do. They take take a lot of pride in their work. Um, but I'm curious I'm curious as to what uh, what uh, um, Catherine and Nora have experienced. I mean, do you do you when you get when you get to stress and then burnout, um, you know what what are the, what are the, what are some of the negative uh, negative effects um, or actions that you've that you've experienced? I I can go ahead. Um, I will tell you when I am extremely burnt out. I I have started idly been like, man, if that bus just like hit me a little bit, I would. I would go to the hospital and then I would have an excuse not to work on this project and I don't want it to happen. Right. But I start having some idle thoughts like that of, Oh man, if I fell down this stairwell and like busted my ankle, I wouldn't be able to go into work today. You know what I mean? Things like, and when I start wondering, I'm like, okay, we we've crossed a line here. And, um, you know, I, um, I will say that I am scarily good at putting a lid on it until it's boiling point. And, and people don't understand that about me. And I, I don't know if it's a little bit of masking in there or what that is for me, but I have a very high tolerance. But once you have met that tolerance, and I will tell people, guys, I'm burnt out, guys, I'm burnt out. But I think because I say it in such an even keel, it doesn't get any attention, right? I'm like, I'm nearing burnout. I cannot do this anymore. And that's how I say it. And so then I have sent an email that was not becoming of my station, um, nor did it represent me as a professional. But in that moment, the tone that I heard in my head from the SME that chose to send me that email was the thing that made me blow my stack. And everyone was confused as to why. And I'm like, it's because I've been working on nine RFPs for three months straight, and I've been screaming about burnout, and no one listened to me. And ultimately, I did end up sort of you know, leaving because I just... Um, I knew that was someone who I wasn't going to get along with. And that was a very early indicator um, that it was better for me to get out than to keep myself in a situation like that. Um, but yeah, th those are the signs for me. Um, and, and unfortunately, I don't recognize them before that because I have that very high tolerance. So yeah, Nora and I share a lot of that. 
Um, I think I, I really love that that concept of like the it's not there's no heat until it's boiling, and so it's so difficult to know. It's so, you're like I got this, I got this, I got this, and suddenly I don't got this. Um, the worst problem for me is we so we're you know we're writers largely. We do you know project management, systems design, and collaboration and meetings and all this stuff. But like at the end of the day, a lot of us are writers, and the 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 most challenging symptom that comes along with burnout for me is inability like my reading comprehension takes a nosedive which by the way affects your proposal quality and also makes you like a pretty bad proposal writer if you can't read properly and commit that information into memory and so that's I don't know if that happens to other folks as well but like when I get that burnt out I just can't even like nothing will stay in my head and I can't remember what I'm supposed to be doing and so my executive function goes to goes out the window and I become um people start questioning my competency which causes me a lot of heartburn because mm -hmm. I know I'm competent when I'm when I'm rested you know so um so that's for for me personally that's it's a heartbreaking it's a heartbreaking side effect yeah you know you know those are I don't want to say great examples. Those are unfortunate examples, but very real examples as well. You know, Catherine hit, just hit on something about the quality of proposals going down, uh, you know, the, the, the readability going down. Um, Rochelle, in, uh, in your expertise uh, in, in this matter, have you, um, have, have you seen any data or any, any metrics that kind of show you know, as you know, th um, the more teams are burned out, like what happens? I, I, mean, I mean, what happens to revenue or um, employees staying with the company, things like that? Yeah. Um, so I actually found some really alarming statistics, not specifically to proposals or our industry, um, but one, uh, the turnover rate as a result of burnout right now is between 20 and 50 percent, which is alarming mm -hmm. um and the estimated because it's really hard to estimate the cost of burnout but you know based on like lost productivity people checking out um people just not being there people you know maybe tripping down the stairs so they don't have to be there um sorry nora please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> um the the estimate is a cost of 125 to 190 billion dollars annually to corporations whose employees mm. burn out like that's insane <laughs> real money it's real money um and then it, the things that are harder to quantify are you know at the at the individual company level um that loss of like intellectual knowledge the loss of especially in proposals mm -hmm. we rely so heavily on institutional knowledge especially if you haven't pushed for, you know, a content library or content management systems, the entire AEC industry that I work in, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all institutional knowledge. So if you lose someone who's been at the company for even two years, but you know, someone who's been there 10, 15, you lose all of that knowledge that is only existing up here. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the clients mm -hmm. that I work with, I, they, they've, lost people to burnout and I step in and I'm like, okay, where is this? And they're like, oh, well, Kathy had it. Like, and what, what's the cost of me figuring out how to catch up? You know, like I can tell you what it costs, but to retrain an employee, it's just, it's absurd. You know, Rochelle, during my time at Lupio, I saw 
the entire team's turnover 10 15 people all at once mm. wow. like like i know that's anecdotal data it's not it's not but i when we would go in and implement our technology solution it was because they only had maybe two remaining like two surviving team members and they realized the importance of commemorating this material in a place that was centralized and easy to find. So like, you know, any RFP automation tool would achieve this goal for you not, you know, not, not plugging anyone in particular. But, but I saw, I saw, you know, large teams of people, just everybody rolled out at once. I have heard of this happening. I haven't seen it specifically, but again, same anecdotal you know, I've got mm -hmm. plenty of connections who reach out to me about their burnout stories and they, you know, finally take the plunge to do, you know, what's best for them and move somewhere else. And I get an email six months later saying the other six members of their team have also done the same thing. Oh, wow. Like, ooh, I wonder if that's not an individual issue, but maybe like a corporate systemic issue. Mm -hmm. We should look into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that, that, that dollar amount, the 125 to 180 or $190 billion every year to turn over. I mean, I mean, that's something, um, we talk about on our podcast a lot is is showing data to prove a point or or, or bringing that data to decision makers in the company because only then will actions be taken um, so, um i want to throw a question out to everyone here we'll, we'll start with nora on this so um you know if if you're a decision maker and you, and you see this and you see this number i mean what what can what's one thing an organization can do to to change that culture of burnout or to recognize that burnout and do something about it? Yeah, I think if you're an organization that's gotten to that point where you're having that much turnout, you're not listening to your employees. You are not taking in any feedback from exit interviews. You are <laughs> you are not. Um, and I'm sure that there is a case where people have been banging down the doors and not trying to make this a secret, but it sounds to me like you have an upper management problem. Because in my opinion, culture starts at the top and rolls downhill. And also, to me, culture is the worst behavior that a company is willing to accept. Okay, so I think that that sets the tone for everything in a company. And if you are willing to accept sales folks abusing your proposal managers, and if you are willing to accept management forcing your proposal managers to respond to everything, that is not something that anyone at the lower level is going to be able to fix. That absolutely requires buy-in from the top and support from the top. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to hear what Michelle has to say on this. But again, during during my time at Lupio, we did um, uh, a survey of industry professionals. And in that survey, it, it unequivocally and, and very clearly showed that happy proposal teams are winning proposal teams. Like uh, unequivocally, it was a it was a a 100 percent true data point is that empowered, um, satisfied and collaborative teams are the winningest team. So if you want to run an elite proposal shop, look at the satisfaction level of the people who are doing the work. And as soon as you start seeing that, like, I don't know if there's a negative correlation, right? Like we know for sure that winning proposal shops tend to have happy employees. I don't know if it necessarily goes in the other direction. Like there may be some very happy people who are doing very terrible work. I think it's unlikely, right? But 
but we definitely saw we definitely saw a correlation between those two things. And and how do we support thinking about um, about the you know developing these positive environments? Uh, we've got to collect. You know, we talk about data. Collect data. Collecting satisfaction survey points from your from your organization. Collecting uh, project satisfaction data after every RFP to say how can we continue to move forward, empower our team, give them the voice. Because even if they're under a lot of pressure, if they feel like they've got some control over what's happening or their voice is being heard and even modest changes are being made, I think that helps us, I think that helps us drive towards an organizational culture that is more responsive and actually helps us retain those team members. So again, from my perspective, um, seeing those numbers over the last two years, happy RFP teams are productive and winning RFP teams. So, so, you know, do with that with you will. And if your company is not sending out engagement surveys, if they're not looking at their own internal NPS for their employees, red flag, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Rochelle, do you think AAC I, firms are doing that? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do vividly remember getting a survey for like best places to work. You know, they have to send that on to all the employees. And we were strongly encouraged to answer positively. Oh, no. uh, it was anonymous, but <laughs> so most of us just didn't fill it out <laughs> because we would have had to lie. Um, and I, the company I specifically remember the second year was like, you know what? We're not going to submit for that because they knew. They knew their employees would not answer positively and they knew they couldn't bully them into it. So they just were like, we're not going to be one of the best places to work. We have plenty of other accolades. And see like, right there, you no. said bully them into <laughs> bully, it. Yeah. Yes. Horrible. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. I, it's, it, we're still working that ship off of my shoulder, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so Rochelle, organizationally, who have you, like, how have you seen people be successful in this then? Um, I think, so as a consultant, I have actually seen one of my clients do a beautiful job of transforming how they look at proposals and marketing. Um, it was an unfortunate start. Their marketing person left. She was really burnt out, um, did not go did not leave on great terms. Everybody was really frustrated in general. Um, but we, when I started, I was like, we have to have a dialogue about process and leadership. Oh, they did something absolutely beautiful where they admitted that they don't fully understand how proposals and marketing work. And they trusted that I would help them through that. Um, and I, I guess that's the consultant magic, you know, somebody on the outside can do that. There's no reason you can't do that or you should be doing that with your in-house people. Like all it takes is for leadership and management to admit that they don't know everything. Nobody expects you to be the principal of a firm and know how to do literally everything. Like I don't, you don't expect me to be able to build a building like or engineer things, mm -hmm. right? So why would I expect you to be able to do my job that I've been refining and honing and building my skills in for the past 15 years? It's in, it's incredible what you can do if you just say, I don't know, will you show me? Because I think so much of burnout comes from like mismanagement and like this pushing for expectations without realizing what you're really asking for. Mm -hmm. And then like that turning the blind eye, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've gone to and been like, I'm burnt out, just like Nora, like I'm burnt out, I can't handle this, nine proposals is too many, but they don't know what nine proposals means. Like it's just a number to them. You know, they make nine sales calls a day, so what's the big deal? 
Um, so having them admit that they don't know what that means, can you please explain it to me, is huge. And that it worked really well for this client. They just, they were just humble. It was amazing. And now like their team is just a winning machine. They're beautiful. I love them. They know who they are. <laughs> so, so Rochelle, so for companies who have, who have this culture of burnout, whether, whether intentional or not, um, and you know, they may send out surveys and employees just may not want to take them or don't feel that their opinions are going to be valuable. But they're still in this rut of, oh, my gosh, I'm burnt out. Um, I mean, how I mean, what's your advice for have for having employees step up to say, hey, I'm burned out. I need help. Uh, it might be a little counteractive, but my first thing is to step back and take care of yourself first because nobody else is going to take care of you before you take care of you. So if you start, you know, all the signs that we talked about earlier, if you start looking at buses or hoping that you get COVID or if you can't read because your eyes are going cross-eyed, um, I sacrifice like personal time. I can literally do nothing but like be a vegetable after work, <laughs> like I just zone on Netflix and can't even tell you what I watched. Um, so the first step is to take back that time because you're not going to be able to have a positive or impactful dialogue with anybody who can make any kind of change if you are not prepared for it. And you're not going to be prepared for it if you've hit your boiling point and you're spilling over. You're going to snap. You're going to send the nasty emails. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, first, the first thing is just you know, step back, take care of yourself, gather your data, and then go forth and have those conversations, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know what, honestly, real talk, and I hate to say this, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you stop performing, your company will probably replace you pretty quickly. So I, I just encourage people who are really burnt out, who are not being listened to, and it's very clear, it's a pattern, it's two, it's three months of complaining mm -hmm. about the same thing, of getting no traction. This is a job seekers market. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If your company won't take care of you, someone else will. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that Preach. there are a lot of people that I've encountered who are afraid to make that leap because they don't know what it's going to be on the other side. It could be worse, you know what I mean? And things like that. Um, but I always encourage people do not turn down any opportunities because that's how mm -hmm. you grow yourself in your career. Mm -hmm. So Nora, if I may be so audacious as well, during the interview process, I would recommend that folks who are who are in this industry, I some of my most recent jobs, I have asked questions and I've gotten red flags around go, no go, or do you do mm -hmm. all the work that you're assigned, right? And I've gotten those red flags and I've ignored them. And every single time I've ignored a red flag question that I asked of an administrator in an interview, the job has not been what I had hoped. Mm -hmm. One question that I make sure that I always ask in any job interview is to the interviewer, when was the last time you took a vacation? And did you work while you were on vacation? And mm -hmm. was it an expectation that you worked unspoken? And then I ask, when was the last time that the vice president of the department or the CEO of the company took a vacation? And were they working? Because that will tell me a lot about what I need to know about oh, that culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do mm -hmm. people actually admit they admit like they don't lie to you to try to make their company look better? They admit yeah. that they work on vacations? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you ask an earnest question, oftentimes you will get an earnest answer because yeah. it's smart if that's the culture of the company to admit that to your interviewer because your interviewer 
or your interviewee may be fine with that. There are so many people mm -hmm. that I know that are totally fine to work on vacation. It does not bother them at all. I'm mm -hmm. not one of those people. So for me, that's going to let me know I need to disengage at this point and not waste anybody else's time. Sure. But for somebody who's fine with that, they're like, yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. Let's let's move forward. So that's just a way to refine and get the best candidate, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And to also mm -hmm. determine for yourself, OK, is this a good fit for me? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, because if it's. Yeah, because if the grass isn't always greener, and it's something I want the hard Everybody's way. in a different place in their life too. Mm -hmm. So, sure. But wise, wise, wise words from our panel today, uh, Rochelle. Before we close out, do you have any final thoughts? And can you tell us how to get a hold of you on uh, LinkedIn or other platforms where you where you like to hang out? Sure, I really only hang out on LinkedIn because I'm a terrible millennial. <laughs> So you can find me at uh, Rochelle Ray Marketing. Um, and then just last thought is going back to this, this concept of fear and being afraid of what's on the other side, but also not letting yourself be afraid to have these tough conversations mm -hmm. about what's going on in your life. You know, don't put that lid on it. Talk about it because it, it might be the same on the other side and you're just going to have the same problem until you talk about it and until you get to the team that's going to talk it with you but you don't know until you swallow that fear and put yourself out there excellent well thank you so much <laughs> for joining our our nref team today rochelle it has been an absolute delight to have you here hopefully the shipwreck has been uh brought into port into dry dock and and is now is now sailing back away after having recovered from burnout that's that's our definite hope for our our listeners and viewers as well um if you'd like to know more about the no really everything's fine podcast you can join us on our linkedin page where we are actively promoting and talking about the fact that we were nominated for a Signal Award, a podcasting award. This is the inaugural year for the Signal Awards, and we are in active judging right now. So stay tuned to learn more about how you can get involved with our podcast award and with all the other great initiatives that are going on around No Really Everything's Fine. Furthermore, check out our sponsor over there at Outlaw Proposals, where we are talking about fractional proposal management and how to spin up your department. So keep an eye out for Outlaw and all of the wonderful things that are on the way and a community launch that's happening here in July. So uh, again, thank you for joining us. We're so happy that our proposal community is here and learning about how to make everything actually fine. And we will see you again from the next time we broadcast from the flaming dumpster in the back of your... Uh, core commercial complex and enjoy your day. Cheers.